Hi everyone, brand new episode of What's Good, Greg Meskel here, great guest as we have every week, uh, called a game with him a couple of years back, ESPN college football analyst, Rini Angolia. Rini, great to be with you again. Greg, thanks for having me, buddy. Hey man, so you have this uh, fantastic story, and I know it's been written about in Yahoo Sports and elsewhere, uh, and, it's, and it's changed a bit, you just recently retired from the Orlando Police Department, but for many years, police officer, detective, and college football analyst, I have to imagine you're the only guy to ever do this? I, I think I am. Uh, you know, people always ask me that question. I go, I don't think there was another police officer, sworn law enforcement officer anywhere that was also a uh, an analyst of any sport. So yeah, I think I uh, I got taps on that so far. Hopefully, someone else will come along and do it. You've you've uh, paved the way for someone to have this dual, this dual life. Uh, I know you're recently retired, so now you're now you're out of that double mix. But as you think back on pulling this together. And I know there's great stories of you kind of coming back from a game and starting a midnight shift yeah. and stuff. When you think back on it, how did you balance doing both of these very different, but important jobs? Yeah. And it's funny because as I look back on it, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe I wasn't more stressed. Now I was stressed doing it. So the hardest thing, so the kind of the backstory on it um, is in 2007, I was inducted into the UMass uh, athletics hall of fame so i had gone up to umass and at that time I, I i joined the orlando police department in in 2000 so i was a seven-year veteran um and i go up to umass and i get inducted and that next day after the induction ceremony there's a football game they did it in the fall so i did the halftime interview and I, I i went into the booth and i put a headset on for the first time and i did this like seven or eight minute interview and the play-by-play -play voice at the time was a guy by the name of bob beeler he's now the voice of boise state so, uh, and I'm still friends with Bob, but anyway, I did this interview and I got done and I'm like, man, this was really cool. Like I said, first time I had ever put headsets on and I said, you know, I think I could kind of do this. I'm pretty knowledgeable with football. I had a good pedigree. So I went back to Orlando and then I just kind of, um, scoured the internet and just kind of was like looking like any other business, like you look for connections. Cause you know, it's like, who do you know, or who, who can kind of give you a leg up? And I just connection after connection I looked you know and I was given cold email after cold email and uh and not to throw names out but anyway I got answered by someone at ESPN and they basically said sure send us your demo tape well I didn't have a demo I was kind of naive I didn't know if like you could audition or whatever and they're like no no we need a demo you know it could be high school it doesn't matter we just need a demo so 2008 kind of goes by now I'm a detective at this point so now I got a lot of time because I'm at my desk with a computer all day. And uh, I basically reached out to UMass and I said, you know what, I'm going to try to do this. So I, I called UMass and I said, hey, I want to join the UMass Sports Network. I want to try to get into broadcasting. I think I could be really good at it. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we would love to have you. They're like, we can't afford to fly you up from Orlando to Massachusetts and then to away games you know UMass Sports Network it's going to be it's going to be the radio and, and I got it and so I said it's okay I'd already talked uh, over with my boss my real boss i.e my wife and she said it was okay so basically they hired me in 09 for the start of the you know we talked in 08 they hired me for the 09 season and you'll like this Frank I don't know if I ever told you the story so I basically maxed out my credit card and I had reached out to a bunch of people and they were basically because I told UMass I would work for free because I just wanted the demo tape and people are like, don't do that. Don't ever work for free. But at this point, you know, I'm an eight year veteran in law enforcement. Um, I'm married with kids. And so also I just wanted to get back into football and I can't, 
you know, I helped out in Orlando. I, I assistant coached for Pop Warner and some high school, but it's just, I wanted more. And it wasn't like I could up and move my family. So I said, this is really probably the best thing. So I maxed that credit card out. Uh, UMass said, yep, we will hire you. So I worked Monday through Friday as a detective. I was a, I was a young detective. I was a property crimes detective. And at the time, I didn't even tell my Orlando police bosses what I was doing. So Monday through Friday, every Friday at eight o'clock, Southwest Airlines, which was the cheapest airline, had a direct flight from Orlando to Manchester, New Hampshire. And it would get in New Ham Manchester, New Hampshire about 11 o'clock. And then from Manchester to Amherst is about an hour and a half drive. So every Friday for home games, I would, you know, I'd work Monday through Friday. I wouldn't take any days off. I'd fly that flight. I'd go to rental car, drive. And then a good buddy of mine, former teammate, Dan Markowski, at the time was an associate athletic director at UMass in charge of facilities. So I would go to his house and I'd get there about, you know, 1230 in the morning. We'd have a few soda pops, talk, and then I'd go to I'd sleep in his basement, wake up, go do the game, sleep at his house Saturday night, Sunday, go back to the airport and go back to work on Monday. And then on away games, I would rendezvous. If they played in Richmond, I'd fly into Richmond. Um, and but then they would, you know, I'd be able to check up at a hotel with them, with the football team. Um, and then they ended up paying me. I think they paid me, I want to say it was $50 a game, maybe a hundred. And so, but it cost me about 12,000 max in his credit card out. So, um, but it was an investment and I knew that coming into it. Um, and then once I got that year in that demo, although it was just a radio demo, it was still a demo. I got it back to some bosses at ESPN and some people I know that, you know, a guy by the name of Stas Hall, which was my first boss who was phenomenal. And uh, they ended up hiring me and gave me three games in 2010. No feedback. It's the old adage, no news is the bad news. Yeah. Um, or, or yeah, no news is good news, I should sure. say. And I did three games. And mm -hmm. then in 2011, they ended up hiring me basically a full slate of games. And then from there, I just progressed up uh, to linear TV and doing national broadcast. So yeah, it was a crazy run how I got into it. But as I look back, as a detective, you're always juggling your caseload. Yeah. And you're always asking other detectives to kind of fill in and help you out here and there when you're on call and you got to cover the entire city. And then the other thing too, that people don't think of, which is really stressful is if I have a trial, I have to go to, or a deposition, I could just see, and never, and I got lucky. And basically the 10 years that I did it, I never had a judge say, what, you're going to miss something because you have a football game with the ESPN. No, no. <laughs> you're going to be in contempt of court. You're going to show up. I was lucky to be able to dodge all that, although very stressful and made it through successfully. That is uh, quite a story. And uh, of course the hustle, right. Which, which I think many in, in sports broadcasting analysts play by play can totally relate to, right. Of just like going after whatever opportunity you can get. So as you start to get into this and maybe uh, when you first signed on, right, you said you weren't even telling your bosses at, at the police uh, station, when do you eventually say like, wait a minute, I, this is starting to get a little bit bigger. I need to kind of come forward. And how did that convo go? Yeah. The next year, yeah. I mean, people ended up knowing I was doing it that year because with social media and stuff, you're, and it was really kind of the start of social media, really like, Oh nine, I think Facebook and Twitter were just really coming on scene. Um, and you're obviously you're, you're, you're pushing out your platform. So, but they were great about it. And so in law enforcement, most agencies have, uh, it's against 
policy to, to work a second job. But usually what that is, is that's if you're going to do like a private security detail or mm. something that mimics law enforcement. They don't want that conflict of interest, right? So this was something so outside the norm, right? Uh, broadcasting football that they were completely fine with it. And then eventually through City Hall, I did sign paperwork saying that it wouldn't conflict with my job and all that and it made it official. Uh, but they were great. They were super supportive. And then as I moved up the ranks, obviously, and started doing bigger games, national games, um, it, it came of you know, all the chiefs knew I did it. The mayor knew I did it. And so everyone was really on board with it. So they, they were really, really great about it. You talked about doing that UMass year, and obviously you're just grinding and you want the chance and you start getting linear games. Is, is there a game, and I know you've done bowl games since, is there a game where you thought as you were getting ready for it, as you came to the stadium, where you're like, this is what I envisioned, or this is what I was after? Is there a moment that sticks out? Really? I mean, I'll tell you what, Greg, the first game, so, so and, and you probably know this too, and so for, for people, one thing I'll tell people out there that want to get into broadcasting, um, there's a, there's a fine line between being persistent and being a pain in the ass. And you have to find that line. You just, you have to, um, because if you're pain in the ass, you're done. And if you're not persistent enough, you're done. So you got to kind of find that. So with Stoss Hall, kind of going back to, um, when I sent them my demo, um, the season had, um, was just about to begin in 2010. I think we were in like the beginning of August. And I had emailed him and I said, hey, thanks for looking at my demo. I'm going to go back and work with the UMass Sports Network this year. And hopefully you can reevaluate me next year. And out of the blue, he sends me a real quick email. And it says, I may have something for you in week one and maybe later in September. So now I am like super excited because never in my wildest dreams that I think after one year with the UMass Sports Network, that I have a chance to jump on with ESPN, even, even in their digital platform, ESPN3, which is really a, a great, it was a great breeding ground. It's kind of changed now with the direction that they're going, um, giving the productions to the schools themselves. But um, so he emails me that, and then like a couple of days go by, and I can't contain myself. So I send him an email. I'll never forget it. I basically said, I don't mean to be a pain in the ass, but my excitement is so high um, about possibly working for ESPN. I just want to know if I'm still like being considered. And then he just emailed me back and he gave me a date. And uh, it, it basically said, how about Duke? And it had the date. Because if you know Stoss Hall, and I know you do, he's very short with his emails. Yes. So I go, I guess I'm doing the Duke game. Yeah. <laughs> and then he emails me back like a couple hours later and goes, hey, I have a conflict with um, another broadcaster. Can you do uh temple villanova on this date i go absolutely and that's another thing let me give you guys advice out there um that are trying to jump into the business never say no Correct. you just don't say no it doesn't matter where the game is what the game is you just you go do it um and if you do love broadcasting you'll never say no anyway um but anyway he gives me temple villanova so getting to the point of your question so that's the first game i've ever did and and football TV wise. And for those of you that don't know, also like people think ESPN three, it's on the internet. It's a TV production. There is nothing different than a TV. It's nothing different than a TV production other than a button gets hit and it goes through digital instead of TV. So, um, but I'll never forget, you know, I'm doing the open and uh, I had never met my play by play partner before. And I'd never done TV. And I was just kind of like, all right, th this is it. It's blank or get off the pot. You know what I mean? You have to, you got to do it. And a lot of people get the chance and they don't, 
evolved from it. And I'll just never, I'll never forget doing that first game and then getting done, going back to the hotel. And, and right then there, I said, this is what I love to do. This is my passion. I knew I would like it, Greg, you know, cause when you're involved in sports, all of us, you're like, Oh, of course, talking about football or talking about your sport, you know, you're going to like it, but I loved it. And I knew from that day forward that it was my pat, excuse me, my passion. Um, and so I was just put everything in to trying to become the best broadcaster I could be. And of course, juggling another profession. And that's the other thing too. Like, People email me all the time or they'll send me a Twitter uh, direct message or a Facebook direct message. I always give people advice. I never blow people off. I always try to help them the best I can because I wouldn't be where I am today if someone didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one of those jerks. If, if people And I give people advice all the time. I'm actually meeting and having coffee with someone um, in a couple of days and just let them pick my brain and just give them the best advice I can. Um, but that game really, I knew right then and there. And then the first biggest game that I ever did. And so you'll like this story too. So like I said, I did three games in 2010. So I did Villanova Temple was the opener. Later that month, I did um, I did Western Kentucky USF in Tampa. And then the end of the year, I did Boston College, Maryland, which blew my mind. At the time, uh, they were, uh, they were, Maryland was still in the ACC. Um, but that blew my mind that I could do a game like that. Um, and then, of course, like I said, no feedback. And then in 2011, I got a full slate of games. Well, the cool thing, you'll like this story. Um, it's, a, it's a Tuesday afternoon. I'm in Orlando. It's in September. It's like September. I can tell you exactly. It's like September 20th, 2011. I'm out investigating a armed robbery, commercial robbery. A computer store got robbed at gunpoint. It's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm out, I'm on the scene, we're walking around, we're looking for evidence, and my phone rings, and it's Stas Hall, my boss. And I had never talked to Stas. Everything was by email. So I'm like, oh, crap, you know, what am I getting called for? Because I'm probably in trouble, I'm getting fired. So I let it go to voicemail, as most of us would do. So I, I pick up the voicemail, and it says, hey, call me when you get it, when you can. Um, so I'm like, okay. So I walk, I'm still on scene of a robbery. I walk, uh, you know, down the block a little bit and I call him and he's like, Hey, um, can you call Florida state Miami this Saturday for ESPN national radio? And I'm like, yep. Cause again, you never say no. And who the heck would say no to that. Right. Sure. So obviously look at, they had some issues. Whoever was supposed to broadcast the game, they had some issues. They, they probably went through the, the Rolodex and said, who do we have in Florida? that could do it. Boom. He called me. And so doing that game was awesome. So the cool thing with that was, even though it was such a big game, remember I broke in doing radio. Yeah. I was really comfortable doing radio. I love doing radio. I love both mediums. They're both very different. Um, but I love radio. And then to do a game that big and the rivalry was really big, um, sold out crowd and dope Campbell. Um, and then that, that was another game that kind of said, yeah, this is really what I want to do. So I've had a few of them like that. Um, but early on, I would say my first one ever, and then doing that national radio game was was pretty cool. Did you like hang up the phone and go back to that scene? Like, all right, boys, let's solve this. Like, I'm Jack. So up. my bo- my boss, who was my sergeant at the time, who was on scene with me, he's a Florida State alum, oh. and he's a huge Florida State fan. So I said, guess who that was? That was my boss from my other boss, and I'm doing Florida State Miami this week. So yeah, they were all. Everyone was always stoked that I would do these games and stuff, yeah. and uh, so yeah, it was it was fun. 
you you hit on uh, your your college career, obviously excellent career at UMass, Hall of Famer. Uh, as as I as I believe you were, you had two cups of coffee in the NFL, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you did some time uh, NFL Europe as well. But but you bring a different perspective, right? If people watch uh, certain NFL broadcasts or college football broadcasts, sometimes the analyst had this massive career, right? They were in the NFL yeah. for fifteen years. They did all these things. Um, when you go into a game, what what do you think? the different perspective is that you bring in that you played football, you love it, but you, but you actually had the, the experience that the majority of the college football world will have, right. Where you don't get that 15 year NFL career. Correct. And so, and anyone that knows me, I, I don't have an ego. I, I never have. I never will. Um, I believe in hard work, working for what you achieve. And I don't, I'm not just talking about broadcasting or sports. I'm talking about life in general. Like I have two teenage daughters and I try, I, I try to tell them every day. I'm like, things just don't happen. You just don't get an A. You have to study. You're just not going to score three goals in a game. You have to put the work in. And that's the hardest thing I think for this younger generation is understanding that stuff isn't just handed to you. You have to go out and work for it. Now, when you go out and work, yes, you'll get breaks. Like I said, you know, someone might know someone and you might get your break, but you better be ready and be up to the task when you get that break because you never know when it's when it's coming from. So, yeah, and I'll, I'll even back it up for you, Greg. So I grew up in Rochester, New York. So I played – I was a pretty talented football player. I was a, you know, And back then, too, I was a three-sport athlete. That's what we did. We didn't – I didn't play video games. I played – when it was football season, I played football. When it was basketball, I played basketball. When it was baseball, I played baseball. We played all three sports, um, which aggravates me about today's sports and what they do to the kids, but that's neither here nor there. And, uh, but football ended up being, you know, my love. I was fortunate enough that I was good. I ended up playing varsity football as an eighth grader. Wow. And so I started getting uh, recruited early on. And, and back then in the late, in the mid eighties to late eighties, if your name was in the paper, that's, that's a freaking huge deal. If you're on the, you know, if your picture's in the paper, forget about it. No social media, no internet, you know, none of that stuff. And people are like, oh my God, you're a dinosaur. It wasn't that long ago. Um, <laughs> So, and everything was letters, you know, um, so I got recruited pretty heavily and then I'll never, here's another great story that I always tell people. Um, I'll never forget his name, assistant coach at the university of Wisconsin. And his name was Bernie Wyatt. Uh, he was on staff with, with Barry Alvarez who took over Wisconsin. They recruited me actually Bernie Wyatt actually recruited me. He was at Iowa under Hayden Fox or Hayden Fry, excuse me. And then he had gone to Wisconsin. So he was recruiting me at Iowa and then changed to, to Wisconsin and, my junior year, he basically offered me a full scholarship, which was unheard of in like 1988, 89. They just didn't do that. Now it's just the world of recruiting is crazy. Um, and he, he, I'll never forget it. He said, just don't get hurt. And so the second game of my senior year, I blew out my knee. And I was getting recruited really heavily by Syracuse, which was, you know, right in my neighborhood, Dick McPherson in Boston College, Penn State, Wisconsin. And I blew out my ACL. I had what's called unhappy triad. I tore my ACL, uh, my MCL, and my medial meniscus, my cartilage. So back then in 1989, I did it. Um, that's a death sentence. They are just, you're not going to get, you're not going to get signed. They're not going to rehabilitate you because it's a major injury. So I'll never forget Wisconsin, that same coach, Bernie Wyatt, calling me on the phone saying, let me put it in perspective for you. It's like you want to go buy a car. You go to the dealership and you pick the car out and like, okay, that's the car right there. I'm getting that car. And uh, you, you're going to, I'm going to be back in two weeks to pick the car up. Well, you go back to pick the car up 
and it's, there's a dent in it. Well, I, there's a dent in it. You're not going to take that car. You're going to take the next car, right? The very best model up to that one. And, and that was the analogy he gave me, which was hard for a 17, 18 year old kid. But well, that's brutal. That's brutal for a 17 year old kid to yeah. hear. But it's truth, right? It's the truth. So I, uh, you know, lost all my scholarships. So, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had an opportunity to go to Fork Union Military Academy, which is one of the most prestigious prep schools in the country. Matter of fact, Eddie George played there. So I would have played with Eddie George had I gone there. Um, the only problem was I would have had a play that very next year. So I would have only been about six months out of post-op for my surgery, which back then they just said, that's not a good idea. They wanted a full year of recovery. And uh, quick story, UMass never recruited me. The head coach there at the time was a guy by the name of Jim Reed, who I'm still friends with. He was a longtime assistant for Dick McPherson, who was a Hall of Fame coach, Syracuse, New England Patriots. Basically, Dick McPherson called Jim Reed up and told him, um, you need to give this guy a scholarship. So UMass was the only scholarship I got. So I ended up there. So just getting back to like your question about kind of relating to people, you know, I've kind of been through it. I, I, I wasn't this, you know, gravy train type of person that, that, you know, I worked hard for everything. I rehabbed that full year. I came back as a redshirt freshman. I earned my job. Um, I didn't get drafted. Uh, you know, I was cut multiple times. I got cut in Canada, um, played in NFL Europe. So I kind of worked at what I, what I, you know, achieved. And then I always wanted to get into law enforcement and, uh, you know, I ended up getting into the Orlando police department. So, you know, really, honestly, I got to live my dreams in terms of playing college football, pro football and, and get into law enforcement. So, yeah, I think I do bring a little different perspective than some to the booth. And then I always have my wife yelling at me when I say technical things, she's like, no one knows what that is. Make sure you explain it. So, and it's great advice. And a lot of announcers need to heed it because, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, they're in, uh, they're in 11 personnel. Well, no one knows what the hell 11 personnel is explained to them. It's one back, one tight. You know, whatever it is, because I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I said, oh, the defense is in a 40 front. And she's like, what the hell does that mean? Well, it just means four defensive linemen. So I think sometimes announcers try to say things to make themselves be smarter than they really are to people. And it's really, you know, it just explains stuff to people. So I try to always do that in my broadcasts. Yeah, it's funny, we're, we're talking on January 11th, and uh, I watched the entire Saints-Bears game yesterday on Nickelodeon, and I yeah. found it so uh, refreshing, not that the, the, the A crew and CBS doesn't do a great job, but it was interesting to watch a broadcast where it was exactly what you're talking about. It was, it was let's keep it very simple, these are the basics, and it was like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is not bad. Yeah, and like, you know, and so like, it was the first game my wife had ever listened to Tony Romo, um, and listen, I think Romo's great he's different than what I am he's different than a lot of announcers I mean he can see formations and he knows because the NFL just retreads everything right so he can see defensive fronts defensive formations offensive formations and he knows what the quarterback's going to change the play to so that's become his thing right and he does it over and over and over again but not my cup of tea some people love that um, but I agree with you I think sometimes and that's also let's let's also be honest and I tell people this all the time no one's tuning into a game because Greg Meskel and Rini Angolia are the broadcast crew. They're just not. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of broadcasters out there that think otherwise. I got news for them. It's not. A lot of people mute games. A lot of people like the radio, the home team's call, right, because it's sided towards your team. Um, so our job is really get the hell out of the way of the game. Let the game be great and just educate 
viewers where you can um, and try to explain things based on your experience, your expertise. And that's what I, what I try to do. And, and so I've evolved as an announcer as well, because, you know, one thing we always talk about at ESPN with some of the bosses is really less is more mm-hmm. and do less better. And I think that's the biggest thing, do less better. You know, and you, you know this, Greg, uh, from your experience, you know, you'll, you'll have all these notes and you'll spend hours upon hours upon hours researching it and getting these notes down. And then what happens is you get into the game and then you're like, well, I spent 20 hours doing this. I'm going to get this on the broadcast. Yeah. And you try to force it in and it just doesn't fit. Just a few nuggets here and there. And guess what? If you don't get them in, you don't get them in. If the get, I always tell people, and I have this conversation uh, with my former partner, Mike Corey, all the time. It's okay to prepare, have a bunch of stuff, but ultimately the game will dictate what direction you go and what nuggets you put in. Because you may have a story about someone, a great story, but guess what? He doesn't play or he just yeah. doesn't really make a play. Now, if he makes 12 tackles and the camera's on him all the time, perfect, you know, hey, 57 white. You know, I'm talking like you would talk to the producer, press the button, 57 white. We're going to, we want to tell a story about him. Let's get the camera on him next time. So, yeah. you know, ultimately the game dictates, but again, announcers need to, a lot, of, I think a lot of times get out of the way, but I think egos come into, come into play there. But you're right. There is the inclination to kind of empty the bag when you've, when you've crafted all these things, you've done all this research. It's interesting. You, you were talking a bit about getting feedback, right? Your wife will tell you something. You hear something from, from one of the bosses. Assuming you get through a broadcast and there's none of the technical glitches that would drive any of us nuts, right? You don't, you're not, you're yeah. not holding your words. Everything's fine. What is the feeling of, I did a good job today, regardless of the score. How do you know so, this was good? I hate listening to myself. I think a lot of people do. I hate it. Yeah. My partner, Mike Corey is listens to every, every freaking game he's ever done. And like, He'll put games on in the car because, you know, with ESPN, you can pretty much get a playback right away. I mean, he's watching games and we're driving back from the city. I'm like, please, Mike, not right now. Not right now. (laughs) Um, I will say this. You need to watch yourself to be better. You you have to. Um, I need to watch myself more. That's one of the things that should probably be a a New Year's resolution for me this year. Um, But I will say this. As a broadcaster, very much like a player, when you think you've, called a great game or you've played a great game and you're like oh I hit it out of the park and you watch it back you're like damn wasn't as good as I thought it was mm-hmm. same token you're like I screwed up that game was horrible I'm getting fired on Monday you watch it back you're like that wasn't as bad as I thought it's always in the middle every game I've ever played and every game I've ever called that has been the truth so you know and I think talking with people um that are in the business because here's the other thing too greg and you know this you could have four bosses they're all going to tell you something different one's going to tell you don't do this so you don't do it and then another one's gonna say you need to do this and then you're like well he just said not to do it now you don't say that yeah but you just kind of figure it out you know and so and that's life that's really not broadcasting that's pretty much any job you ever work in your life so with me, like, and I knew my, I don't know if they're faults. I know my quirks. I can be very excited and loud. And so early on, a lot of the big bosses at ESPN were like, we love your enthusiasm, but if you do it from start to finish, which I can, because I love football, the viewer just, you want to have that exciting moment. So I've kind of tried to temper that down 
Um, one of the bosses also said, I want you to call, and I'm, I'm Italian. I move my hands a lot. They, I, I will sometimes call a game with my hands in my pocket and that calms me down. And then I, I can be, when I get excited, I can go fast. So I try to slow down. And so what I think is really slow for me, is probably normal to a little fast for most people. And the other thing I do, Greg, is I, I have a lot of uh, post-it notes in the booth with me that, that have evolved over years. Um, sometimes, and you'll see this when you watch uh, people broadcast games, a, a word will get stuck in a broadcaster's head. Like great, happened to me once, great. I watched the game back, I must have said great 15 times. Well, there's a ton of other words you can use except great, exceptional, terrific, outstanding, right? So now I have a note card with a bunch of different words on it. Um, one time I was talking about replay, I forgot indisputable. It popped out of my head. I'm getting old. So now I have indisputable. So you learn, you evolve, you forget stuff and, and like even formations. And I talked about, um, personnel groupings and defensive coverages, even though I know them, I forget them all the time. You just do, uh, it's normal. So I have a bunch of post-it notes with a bunch of different notes and rules. I'm a stickler on the rules. So I have a bunch of things on rules that come up. And so that helps me uh, as I as I get older. Yeah, yeah. We we talked about this a bit before we started. I know there's been articles written about it, and we and we hit on your unique uh, first ever role as police detective and college football analyst. And you're you're really at the intersection, right, of some things that come up big in the news when you talk about politics, when it talks about uh, police and inappropriate police action, and then protesting and. How do you handle this when you're doing both of these jobs? And obviously as an analyst, right, you're not going to have this moment where you're going to give a three minute monologue about, about the state of the game, but how do you navigate two very hot topic, uh, yeah. very, very emotional issues? So I don't shy away from anything. I will say this, when I call a football game, I try to stick with the football game. I don't try to get out of the boundaries and that, that goes for anything. Um, you know, if we have a, a promotional read, or something uh, that, that, that comes up in the broadcast that's not for me through production, then I will, I will make a comment on it, no doubt about it. But I won't arbitrarily bring up things one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I got called, after the George Floyd incident, I got called a ton by national radio, local radio, I mean, you name it. And I didn't shy away. I, I, I did every um, interview, and I was, I was honest in, in, in what I believed and what I feel is correct. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't shy away from it. Um, it's, it's an interesting, uh, dynamic. So after the George, George Floyd incident, obviously there was protests all over the country and we had them here in Orlando was one of the, the bigger areas. So I was pulled, you know, every detective was pulled off, off their desk, off their investigations, riot gear, the whole nine yards. I was standing in a line. I've had, you know, bad things yelled about me and my family. It's neither here nor there. It's no big deal. Part of the job. It is what it is. Um, so I've actually been in it. Um, and then I'm in the sports world part of it too, which sports is now kind of collided with it. Right. And, and listen, the one thing I love about this country and, and you, you touched on the politics that are going on, there's no doubt politics, no matter what your leaning is, has bled into every walk of life. Right. And it is what it is. Um, but the thing that I cherish the most and I will always defend and fight is for people's rights to talk, to have a voice, no matter what I could disagree with you. 100%. That's your fundamental right as an American free speech. It's what we live for. So 
it's kind of scaring me now because doesn't matter what side you're on, people want to cancel other people out. That and that kind of scares me. And listen, this is a very resilient country. We've been through a lot. We'll find our way through this. We'll heal. That's the one thing I love about sports, Greg, because I think it kind of brings us together. It's the one piece in America I think really brings people together, uh, regardless of political affiliation. But, and I'll be the first to tell you, and I've said it a million times, when a police officer does wrong, breaks the law, needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. There's no doubt about it. It's cliche, I know, but really 99% of, I mean, there's roughly 800,000 men and women in law enforcement in the country, okay? They answer tons, millions upon millions of calls for service a day. They interact with citizens. The type of incidents we're talking about are so minuscule. Now, one is too many, right? We can all agree on that. But when they happen, because at the end of the day, what are we in law enforcement? We're humans, just like everybody else. People screw up. And I will say this too, and I think it's an important distinction. There's a difference between a police officer that makes a mistake and a police officer that breaks the law. Mm -hmm. Breaking the law isn't a mistake. You're a criminal, okay? And you need to be prosecuted. But just like every other job and profession, we all make mistakes. Like in broadcasting, I make mistakes. It doesn't matter. You make mistakes. Police officers make mistakes as well. So I think those need to be looked at appropriately. And the problem is when the police bashing was at its highest, cops would make honest mistakes where they probably shouldn't lose their job for it. They should be reprimanded, but they're losing their jobs or they're getting charged when they probably shouldn't get charged. So we have, you know, our country can pile on at times. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, I just want people to understand uh, men and women in law enforcement, by and large, do a phenomenal job. They're out there working the holidays, three o'clock in the morning when you're home with your family at night. And yeah, when they make mistakes, they need to be held accountable. And when they break the law, they're criminals. They're, they're no longer police officers. So, is there is there any um, comparison, or do you draw any parallels to sports? And the premise being, you know, you're all you're all in this together, right? If you think about your football team, you think about your police force, right? And um, you know, where you, you know that you're all working towards this kind of common goal. And maybe on a team, you have someone who steps out of line, right? And it's certainly in the police business, a more serious offense than say someone yeah. who skips practice or something like that, right? But by sure. and large, you feel like your group is, is trying to do the right thing. How, how do you kind of rationalize that in your head? And can you, can you draw on your sports experience to kind yeah. of work through that? Perfect analogy. It is such a great analogy. And that's, I think, what drew me to law enforcement because- when you go to law enforcement, and so for those out there that may not know, in pretty much every agency in the country, unless it's really a small podunk agency, but any larger size agency, um, it's all similar. You're going to start out as a patrol officer. Like people tell me all the time, oh, I want to be a cop, but I just want to be a detective. Well, it's not how it works. You <laughs> usually ride midnight shift, and that's how you learn. You're, you're not going to be a good detective. You're not going to be able to move up the ranks if you're not a patrol officer working a midnight beat uh, in, a, in a bad neighborhood where crime is high. I mean, that's where you learn. That's how you figure stuff out. Um, but you're also working with a squad of eight or nine people and you're right, that's a team. And guess what? Some of those people on that squad mess up and that's where you have to hold them accountable. I know people, the thin blue line, you don't, you, you, you keep it quiet. It, that is not as prevalent as the movies would lead you to believe. You know what I mean? I tell people all the time. So I'm retired now. I'm retired with a full pension, full medical benefits, okay? 
if you lie, lying in our agency and most agency, lying is the one thing that'll get you fired the quickest. There is no way I am going to lie for another officer who screwed up and risk my pension, my medical insurance for me and my family. It's just not going to happen. And 99.9% of police officers are the same way. Listen, Greg, I may love you, right? You're my partner. I love you. You do something wrong. That's on you. I'm going to get asked about it. I'm going to go and say, yeah, Greg did this. That's on him. And that's the way most police officers are. I'm not saying that maybe one or two don't do that, but the majority of them um, realize really quick that their careers, their livelihoods are much more important than someone else's if they're going to screw up. And, you know, kind of, you're right, but it's that same team type of mentality that you have in sports uh, is like that in law enforcement. Yeah, because I, you know, I've, I've often thought, right, and as you stated, right, just by the numbers, right, the percentages show you that the majority of police are, are, are doing things the way it should be done, not to excuse the ones that have done terrible things, sure. but I can imagine someone like yourself, even retired, when you hear another one of these stories, you read something in the newspaper, it has to just be deflating to the whole group, like, we're trying to do it the right way, and then you know what's going to follow. Yeah, from it ruins it, because what happens in society, right, in media, yeah. negativity sells. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. So it, you could have, you could have a thousand cops do great things. Right. And they, that's just what you do every day. Right. It doesn't yeah. make the news. You have one cop that, you know, uh, you know, handcuffs a guy and loses his temper and punches a handcuffed prisoner. That's not, not national news. That's world news. Right. Yeah. And it's not excusing him. He was wrong, but it puts every other cop behind the eight ball in a bad light. And so it's an uphill battle. And here again, police officers are human. So would I love to say that um, it'll never happen again? That'd be naive. You're always gonna have imperfection. You're, and here's the other thing too. When you get hired, I don't care what profession you get hired in, but when you're in law enforcement, the number one thing, hire good people. You know, there's not people, is there a certain person, you know, you need to hire good people. You can train people to be police officers. You can train, if you hire an inherently good person at the core, they're going to be a good person when they police. So mm-hmm. a lot of it, I think, in all of these law enforcement agencies across the nation, comes back to recruiting, getting the right people in there and then and then training them up. But you're right. Every time an incident comes um, comes out, you just, you're just like, oh, not again, not again. Now, luckily, I mean, knock on wood, I don't think we've been really good in the past year so. And I think the training's getting better um, as well. So let's let's hope that that we don't have any ugly incidents that we that we've seen in the last couple of years. Some some lighter topics to uh, close out things here. And appreciate you taking the time. Uh, yeah. You've you've obviously done a lot of football, a lot of uh, police work. Is there a movie in your mind or a TV show that football players universally agree nailed it? And then conversely, is there a show or, or movie that police in general feel like they captured what it's really like? universally grabbed it. I don't know about football. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. It just the other day, because now that I'm retired, I was flipping through the channels and Friday <laughs> Night Lights was on the original yeah. movie. And so I watched it and I thought that was pretty good. I think I had seen it before, but I didn't remember. Um, growing up, I always liked the movie All the Right Moves. Now I'm really dating myself uh, when Tom Cruise is <laughs> like a teenager. Uh, but university, I don't know if there's a, a yeah. football one. There's a lot of good football movies out there, though. Yeah. Um, and then police-wise, police wise, not many at all. I mean, yeah. There's that movie SWAT, totally unrealistic. <laughs> Most of the police movies are very unrealistic because it's it's yeah. it's Hollywood and it is what it is. It's it's nothing near what the reality is. Now there's a lot of great, you know, listen, you want to watch reality shows, 
that, you know, the first 48 yeah. on the money, yeah. first 48 on the money. Uh, even, you know, cops back when they had cops, it's probably gone now yeah. um, with the way cancel culture is, but that it was real life. So um, yeah, I would say watch reality shows and yeah. So watch football. That's the biggest reality show. There you go. There you go. Uh, and, and our final, what's, what's good questions. We, we end with these three. I'll start first. What's, you know, and now you're retired, you have a little more free time, but what's, what's something you've done for yourself lately? So I always work out and it's funny. So I'm going to be 49 and uh, my working out basically is based on do, do, will my suits fit me nicely when I broadcast football game? Cause I need motivation, right? I'm old. I need motivation. So um, and now I've let myself go <laughs> through the holidays. So I'm hoping I call spring football this year. So it gives me something. So we just, so I normally work out and I'll go for a nice run. Um, we just bought, now I'm really dating myself. You're going to figure out how old, you know, I'm an old man. Uh, we got a Bowflex. Santa brought us a Bowflex for wow. Christmas. I love it, man. I got it set up. I haven't used it yet because I'm still in my just letting myself go mode. Uh, but yeah, usually I do work out every day. And, and I, I do, I tell myself, do something every day. It doesn't have to be a two hour workout. It could be a 20 minute walk. And I will, I'll put my, uh, my headphones in and I, I'll, if it's football season, I'll listen usually to ESPNU radio. It's a lot of good shows on there or my music. So yeah, I'll try to do something athletic every day to, to get out there and just get the body going. That's the, that's the first new Bowflex purchased in about 15 years, I think. I know. Well, we got it on sale. So it's got the, <laughs> you know, the power rods. I tell sure, you what, sure. I did one set just trying it out and I woke up the next day and I was a little sore. So I go, <laughs> all right, that's a pretty good purchase. There you go. Uh, what's, what's something you've done for someone else recently? So my, my wife, uh, bless her, she, uh, she's a, a school counselor um, and uh, does everything around the house. So since I'm retired, I'm trying to do more around the house. Just And just a little, listen, little things make a big deal. Like when she comes home and the bed's made, big deal. Um, when there's no dishes in the sink, big deal. Um, we recently, we have some property out of about five acres. So we have ducks and geese whole different you could do a whole different show on my ducks and geese but uh so i try to do stuff around the yard and just make her happy um because god forbid my kids don't do a thing um so I, I so i try to make her life a little bit easier because when i travel so i talk about my two high school daughters they play club soccer which you travel the entire southeast but the country so when i travel for football she has to go with the girls so oh, sure. she's doing all of that and uh and taking care of the dogs and everything so i, I try to do what i can around us i'm not as good as i should be but i'm getting better and lastly what's what's something you turn to that makes you laugh to kind of un, unplug yeah you know so i don't i don't i don't watch a lot of tv in terms of i don't have like a, a funny show although i did watch animal house the other night which made me laugh because that took me back um, cause that's one of the classics. Um, yeah, no, really just my ducks and geese make me laugh. Cause every day it's like this. So we have four ducks and two geese and these big geese are, uh, we got them cause they kind of protect the ducks, but we ended up having to fence them in and give them their own spot in the yard because we have four dogs and two dogs could care less about the ducks and geese, but two dogs want to eat the ducks and geese. So it's every morning, it's the same thing. It's this give and take. And so the geese haven't figured out yet. I have one little dog that when the geese stick their snouts out and try to bite him, he bites them back. So that's always, I'm always trying to def deflect that. 
And then I have another little dog that looks like the one that bites, but doesn't bite. And he got a little too close to the fence and they bit him in the butt. So he's got a big chunk out of his butt with his hair missing. So that kind of makes me laugh. So I'm a simpleton. <laughs> oh, classic. Uh, Rini, appreciate the time. Good to, good to catch up with you and uh, looking forward to seeing you hopefully this spring on some football and then certainly next fall. Absolutely, Greg. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year. And there's no doubt 2021 is going to be better than 2020. That's a fact.